You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. Let's read God's word together. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whosoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself are required of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A shepherd named Moses was tending his flock and came to a mountain called Horeb for grazing. And while on that mountain, he sees a bush that is burning, but not consumed. And as Moses goes to investigate, he hears the voice of God calling out, Moses, Moses. And at that event, the Lord chooses and makes Moses his prophet. And he sends Moses back to Egypt to deliver his covenant people, his his Israel from the hand of Pharaoh to liberate them out of slavery. So after he brings them out of Egypt, the Lord commands Moses to bring the people back to Horeb. That's his mission. Go get my people in Egypt, bring them back to this mountain where they will serve me. And miraculously, the Lord did just that. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. The Lord spoke to Moses as a prophet. And Moses goes to Israel, he goes to Pharaoh, and he declares the word of the Lord, let my people go. And the Lord flexed his arm over mighty Pharaoh, unleashing 10 plagues upon the land. And after the 10th plague and final plague, among the wails and sorrows of the Egyptians waking up to their dead sons, Pharaoh lets the people go. And so freed Israel begins to make their march behind Moses, who is following the Lord's leading, manifested by a pillar of smoke and fire. But of course, the heart of Pharaoh hardens yet again, 
And he unleashes the chariots of Egypt to go and chase down Israel. And of course, they're walled off by the Red Sea with the air dust of speeding chariots getting ever closer behind them. And the Lord begins to send a strong wind parting the sea. And Moses led the people across the Red Sea on dry ground. And with the people across safely, the pursuing Egyptian chariots are caught in the collapsing walls of water. And they're crushed by the hand of the Lord. The Lord tossed the horse and his rider in the sea, the people of Israel sang. The Lord had triumphed gloriously in spectacular deliverance of his people. But the deliverance out of Egypt was just the beginning. It was just the beginning of God's mercy towards Israel because after they are delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians, around seven weeks after Israel had passed through the waters of the Red Sea, Moses brings the people back to that mountain, Mount Horeb. In Exodus 19, Moses prepares the people to meet their God, to enter into covenant with their God, the same mountain of the burning bush. The Lord himself will speak to the people of Israel. The people of God gather around the mountain after being cleansed and purified. And they are warned, don't come near the mountain. Don't get too close, lest you die. But what they witnessed on that day absolutely terrified them. It caused them to quake and to tremble. They saw smoke wrap the mountain as the Lord descended in fire. And the mountain itself quivered and and tremors ran underneath the feet of the whole nation as God appears. And in the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we get more details of what happened in that day. Initially, we're told that Moses stood at the base of the mountain and God began to give his law to Moses in front of the entire gathered nation of Israel so that the nation could hear the voice of the Lord themselves. All of Israel heard God's booming voice utter out the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods beside me. The whole event became so overwhelming to Israel, to their senses, the brightness of the fire, the thundering voice of God, the scent of holy smoke that engulfed them, the quaking ground beneath their feet, the glory and holiness and radiance of the Lord was simply too much for them to handle. And so the elders of the tribes go to Moses and petition, we've got to do this differently. We need a different arrangement. And Moses recalls that interaction. In fact, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. 22 through 27, flip backwards in Deuteronomy. Moses recalls what happened on that day. Moses, Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 22. These words, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness. With a loud voice, he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord, our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day, we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? 
For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. So Israel forgoes the option of eavesdropping on Moses's conversation with God, instead preferring for Moses to be a prophetic intercessor between God and the people. And so the plan that they beg Moses to implement is, Moses, let's do this a little bit differently. Instead of God coming down to us and speaking to us and creating great fear and trembling within us, Moses, you go up to Horeb and get the words of God, you hear God speak, and then bring them down to us. That's a a better plan. Why do we need a prophet? Why do we need one? Well, because as sin-stained creatures, we dare not approach the Holy One of Israel. We need God's word, don't we? We need the word of God. But we, in our sin, cannot bear to hear so holy a voice so mighty a command, so glorious a charge with our own ears. We long to hear from God. We need to hear from God. But the splendor of his holiness causes us to shriek back in fear. In our humanity, the glory of God creates two opposite effects in our hearts. It it creates longing and repulsion. And in longing, we, we, we desire to see God and to know God and to hear from God because such matchless perfection allures our heart's affections. We are captivated by God's worthiness and we're transfixed by his goodness. We want to know more. We're drawn in. We desire to be close. But yet at the same time, we're repelled because we're so unstained and we're so, we're so stained and we're so sin. God God is unstained in his beauty. And as we see such beauty, it causes us as sinful creatures to recoil back in dread as we see with increasing clarity in the light of God's glory, our own sinfulness. And we're ashamed. And just like our first parents, we go and hide and we run away because we see our fallenness. We retreat back into the darkness because we are unable to bear the weight of God's illustrious light. Friend, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As you think of the Lord this morning, do you find within your heart this strange reaction of longing and repulsion? You come today, perhaps I pray, seeking the Lord, but yet there's something about it that causes you to be incredibly afraid, to stand exposed in such beautiful glory and holiness. If so, you find yourself exactly where Israel found herself, longing to know God, longing to hear his word, but trembling in fear and wanting to withdraw from him to a safe distance. You see, God's great accommodation of us in our weakness is by giving us an intercessor, by giving us a mediator to go between us and God. God's ultimate goal in doing so is not to push us away but to draw us into his presence where there is fullness of joy. He he works so that we might not just fear him as a holy judge, but that we would fear him as a loving father. 
and at Sinai, in these events in Deuteronomy, we, in Exodus, we, we see the beginnings of God's plan to bring us near. He gives us an intercessor. He gives us someone who can mediate his word to us so that we might be brought into his presence. You know, as you read the scriptures, perhaps you've thought this before, we can wonder, well, why didn't God just speak to Israel directly? Why, why the need of a mediator, uh, intermediator? Why, why, why the need for a prophet? But yet God spoke through the prophets at his people's request. <laughs> they, they asked for the prophets. Because of God's holiness, we prefer written tablets of stone to the audible voice of God. And so God is gracious and he accommodates us in our weakness and he gives us his word through intermediaries called prophets. And so Moses became the one who would go before God and Israel. He was the prophet of Israel. He ascended the mountain. He received the law of God. He descended back to the people and he told them what the law was. Moses led the people like this for decades, being the prophetic liaison between God and the people. And though God's word was perfect, the people, not so much. They were stiff-necked. They were rebellious. And though God's word was perfect, they still recoiled against it. They disobeyed it. Like Israel, we find ourselves in the same situation, don't we? We need God's word. We need to hear God's word, but we cannot keep God's word. Israel was in the privileged position of being God's covenant people and getting direct access to his words out of all the other nations. And so can we find ourselves in such a privileged position, growing up in a Christian family, perhaps? having a dad and mom who loved Jesus, who taught you the Bible, who brought you to church that teaches the, the, the scriptures. But like Israel, God's word shows us that even in such privilege of hearing his word, sin lurks in our hearts. We are unable to keep the law, unable to keep God's word. We fail, we wander from it, we reject it. We all go our own way. Moses watched this tendency in Israel over and over again. And here in Deuteronomy, towards the end of his life, he desires to remind Israel yet again of what God said, what God's word is. So Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy, right? Second giving of the law to a new generation of Israel who prepares to enter the promised land. Remember, the first generation died out because they refused to go into the promised land the first time. And so Moses' life and ministry are coming to an end and soon the prophet of Israel would be gone. And as Deuteronomy and indeed the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament comes to a conclusion, there's a crisis that emerges at the end of, book of, end of Deuteronomy. And the crisis is a question. How will God communicate with his people once Moses is gone? How is God going to do that? Will the prophet be replaced? And if so, by who? And how do we know who that prophet is? So in Deuteronomy 18, we see Moses address those concerns with a word from the Lord. So in verses 15 through 16 of Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells the people, you can follow along in your Bible, right? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desires of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. 
So the Lord will raise up another prophet, Moses says, one that is like Moses from among the brothers of Israel. And just as the people requested at Horeb for an intermediary between God and the nation, so will that pattern continue after Moses is gone. The Lord will raise up a prophet. And Moses reminds them of what they said in verse 16. They said to Moses initially, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And so the Lord sees their request. He hears their request. He sees it as right. The people have rightly recognized that between God and humanity, there is a chasm of separation, God's perfect holiness and Israel's defiled sinfulness. There's a gap there. And so the Lord tells the people to expect another prophet. He says in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all I command him. So the prophet becomes the conduit for God to deliver his word so that if Israel obeys or disobeys the word of the prophet, Israel obeys or disobeys God himself. The Lord says in verse 19, he says, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. The words of the prophet is the word of the Lord. To disobey the prophet is to disobey God himself. So because of the seriousness of the task of being a prophet, of being the mouthpiece for God himself, false prophets, the scriptures tell us here, are to face capital punishment. To defraud the people of God's word is a heinous sin. A prophet's word must be examined for its truthfulness, and it should be tested whether that prophecy comes to pass or not. If the prophet is wrong, he is false, and Israel need not to be afraid of him. So as we think about this, Moses, in Israel's history, is the prophet. He is the archetype of all prophets that Israel had. In Numbers chapter 12, the Lord attests to Moses' unique role out of all the prophets. When Miriam and Aaron came up against Moses and spoke against him, the Lord comes to Moses' defense, and here's what, Moses, here's what the Lord said about Moses. He says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? You see, God spoke to Moses in a way that is utterly unique from all the other prophets. While other prophets may receive God's word through, through visions, through dreams, only Moses communed with the Lord in his presence, directly from God, mouth to mouth. Only Moses beheld the form and the glory of the Lord. And so many prophets would come after Moses, but no other prophet was like Moses. No one had such intimacy such communion, such direct contact with the one God who is a consuming fire. So while Deuteronomy 18 tells us that we should expect the continuation of the prophetic ministry, it points to a single individual, a single prophet of the caliber of Moses himself. 
at the end of Deuteronomy, we're actually left with the tension of this yet unfulfilled promise in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, turn to Deuteronomy 34, the very last chapter. It's, it's interesting, Moses was an incredible prophet, but he did not write the final words of Deuteronomy. After all, not even Moses could write about his death after his death. So we're not entirely sure when these last words of Deuteronomy were attached to Moses' writing of Deuteronomy. Enough time, though, seems to have passed to indicate how Israel was still waiting for the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 18, of a prophet like Moses. Look at Deuteronomy 34, starting in verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and the great, all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. So, so the old covenant is left with this unresolved point of tension. Moses tells the people that the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like him from among Israel, but yet at the end of Deuteronomy, it reveals an Israel still in waiting. There has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And so the Lord spoke to his people through the prophets over the course of the old, old covenant, Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, each prophet brought the word of God to God's people. Samuel spoke with incredible clarity as Israel's last judge before the start of the monarchy. Nathan spoke with great boldness as he confronted David and his sexual sin and murder. Elijah spoke with power and, and miracles. Isaiah spoke with artistry and beauty of the coming servant of the Lord, the Messiah. Jeremiah spoke God's word with tears and lament in Jerusalem's destruction. And all the while, all the prophets served a vital role according to God's purposes. All of them brought God's word, but none of them rivaled Moses. Only Moses knew the Lord face to face. Only Moses spoke to God mouth to mouth. Only Moses could perform the signs and the wonders at the scale the Lord unleashed on Egypt. Moses tells us to expect another like him. But yet, as the Old Testament ends, and as the Old Testament canon is complete, the promise of Deuteronomy 18 is unfulfilled. The fulfillment comes with the arrival of Jesus, of Jesus. Jesus is the prophet to come. Moses is the first prophet, and Jesus is the better Moses. He is the final prophet. He is the definitive word from the Lord. In fact, he is the word of God enfleshed. He is not a word mediated through a fallen human mouthpiece, but Jesus is the word of God enfleshed and come into the world. When Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon, he quotes Deuteronomy 18 and he points to its fulfillment in Christ. Here's what Peter preached in Acts chapter three. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Quotation of Deuteronomy 18. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed 
these days. So Peter identifies Jesus as the one who is like Moses. But Christ is not only like Moses, he exceeds Moses in every way. The author of Hebrews describes how Jesus is the final and definitive prophet. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, we are told that Jesus has been counted of more glory than Moses. Moses, he says, was faithful as a servant, but Jesus, faithful as a son. While Moses was great, Jesus is better. Moses was timid, shy, uncertain in his abilities to speak, but Jesus was courageous and bold and confident as he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Moses relied on his staff for God to work wonders, but Jesus simply spoke and miracles happened. Moses could not gaze fully upon the face of God, but Jesus from eternity past has beheld the fullness of his father's glory. Moses was exhaustible in his energy and he was finite in his abilities, but Jesus was infinite and inexhaustible, able to bear the load of leadership. Moses was the law giver. Jesus is the law fulfiller. Moses was exacerbated by grumbling Israel, striking the rock, but Jesus was patient with his disciples and without sin. Moses was a sinner and Jesus was sinless. Moses relied on a bronze serpent to be held up to heal the people of God in their sin, but Jesus raises himself up on the cross and heals us from the disease of sin. Moses was kept from the promised land because of his disobedience, but Jesus enters into glory through his perfect obedience. Moses died and stayed dead, but Jesus is a true prophet who not only predicted his death, but predicted his resurrection. Exactly as he said, his word came to pass and he rose again, according to the scriptures on the third day the prophet that we have waited for, the prophet that we needed has come. The one like Moses, the one better than Moses has come. The prophetic ministry of Moses and his leadership out of Israel, of Israel out of Egypt, his giving of the law, his formation of the tabernacle, his installation of the priesthood, all of that is simply a foreshadow of the substance that is Jesus. Jesus tells the crowd, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me. Moses' ministry and writings all point to Jesus. It all leads to Jesus. Jesus is the last word, the final prophet, the better Moses who brings the gospel of God to the world, proclaiming the way of salvation, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, it's interesting about Jesus's ministry that several significant points of it happened on a mountain. That is not by accident, friends. In a sermon on the mount, you might call it the sermon on the mount, Jesus, as the better Moses in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, gives his definitive interpretation of the law of Moses, and he describes his mission as the one who will fulfill it, who will complete it. On another mountain, 
Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, and John, becoming radiant in his face, his clothing white as light. And there on that mountain, Moses and Elijah appeared and spoke with him. And as the father spoke in his glory, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, listen to him. And the disciples, you might remember, they were absolutely terrified at these words, mirroring the events of the Exodus and Deuteronomy, mirroring all these events of Israel, and they fell on their face. But it was Jesus, that final prophet, the one who mediates to us God's word, who comforts those disciples. You remember what he said to them? Rise and have no fear. Have no fear. What makes, the, what makes Christmas so astonishing is that the promised prophet to come, the one who was like Moses, would be God himself incarnate. God wanted to come down to his people and speak to them directly, but they couldn't handle it. And while we shriek back in holy fear at the sound of God's voice, God comes to us. The Son of God takes on true humanity, veiling his glory, having no form of majesty that we should look at him or desire him at all. But yet Jesus came, the God-man, and made the Father's will known to us. All of this is incredibly good news. Do you long to know what God thinks? Do you wish that you could know the mind of God? Friend, God has spoken to us by his son. You know, we live in an age of incredible spiritual questions, intense spiritual questions. But the quest for answers to our big questions, it feels almost impossible to navigate in the swamp of everyone's opinions. And so what ends up happening is every person just sort of cobbles together their own version of God as if they're dreaming up an imaginary best friend. And perhaps I pray that you're sharp enough this morning to recognize and to see that that's a fool's errand. It's utter silliness. It's delusional. It's fabricated. It's playing pretend. And I pray you're here this morning because you want to know the truth. Not, the, not a person's opinion, not my opinion, but, but what is the truth? You're not going to be content with this sort of customized divine cocktail of a God that's made up and imaginary. How can I, how can you, how can we know the God who really is, the God who is there? Well, the Lord has spoken. He's revealed himself to us and he's spoken through the prophets and he has spoken finally in his son. And that's good news. Because friend, it means that you don't have to speculate who God is like, nor do you have to try to deduce his identity like you're playing some life game of clue. No, God has spoken plainly and clearly by his word. As Peter recalls the Mount of Transfiguration, where he heard the, the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, Peter says in his epistle, that we have access to a testimony that is more reliable, more sure, more confident than if we had been up on the mountain of transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. This is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter tells us we have a prophetic word 
more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And Peter goes on, what is that, what is that word? What is that prophetic word? Well, it is the scriptures, the writings of the prophets that are the sure and reliable guide to lead us to the truth of who God is. So pay attention to them. Listen to Jesus. And as you study them, the Lord will begin to take the spotlight of his glory and shine it on your heart until the day dawns in your heart. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The scriptures are God's gracious accommodation to lead us into the truth to help us to know who God is, what our greatest need is, and how God meets that need in Jesus. And Jesus came to complete what Moses could not do. While Moses could deliver the, the word of God to the people of God, he could not bring Israel up with him to the Mount of God. And while Moses could give the people the law, he was impotent to change their hearts so that they could obey it. And so they disobey over and over and over again. While he was an intercessor and a mediator, Moses was incapable of cleansing the sins of God's people. While Moses could give us God's true word, he could not bring Israel into the presence of God. Only Jesus can do both. Only Jesus can and reveal the full mystery of God's redemptive plan as our prophet and provide once for all cleansing for sin. Only Jesus can bring God's word and change our hearts. But Jesus, the last prophet, he tells us he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the shame of the cross, that the son of God bore our sins dying in our place, bearing our judgment, our wrath, our condemnation upon his own shoulders. He was slain for our transgressions and the Lord laid on him our chastisement. And so the last prophet spoke his last words. It is finished. And thus the Lord declared once and for all reconciliation with humanity. Jesus paid the penalty for sin. The curtain separating God and man, the chasm that lay between us, it was now overcome. Jesus tore the curtain in two. Access to God is now open for humanity. Sinners can be redeemed by the blood of Christ and can now draw near to God. We have a prophet who not only gives us God's word, but who brings us with him into God's presence. Do you believe in this Jesus? Have you heard the words of the prophet Jesus? Friend, hear me carefully. You do not need to recoil away from God any longer. Why? Why would you run away from him? Why would you run back into the darkness? Yes, you're right. He is terribly glorious in his holiness. And yes, you are right. You are desperately wicked in your sin as we all are. But the good news of Christmas is that we no longer need to run from God in fear for God has come to us. And so with great love and mercy, Jesus opens up his arms to us 
and says, come, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus opens up his arms and he doesn't tell us to run away, but he says, come to me that you may have life. Moses tells the people, you wait here while I go up, lest you be consumed. You stay, I'll get the words from God and bring them to you and you stand safely at a distance. Jesus, a better Moses, says, I've come down to you with my word. And I've come to cleanse you from your sins so that you can now go up with me. Respond to the good news of the gospel this day by turning from your sin, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Respond to Jesus' invitation. Come to him. Come humbled and broken and poor and needy and go to Jesus. And if you come to him, sin-stained as you are, you will be cleansed. And Jesus will never cast you out. More than that, he will draw you close. He's not going to push you away. He's going to bring you near, bring you near to him as you're united to him by faith. And he's going to bring you near to his father in heaven. The Lord Jesus brings us with him as he ascends the mountain of God. And as we approach the mount of God, we don't need to fear anymore. We don't need to fear our deaths. Christ has overcome our death. The consuming fire of our holy God will no longer set us ablaze when we come with the righteousness of Jesus cloaked on our backs. Jesus has made us worthy to come, worthy to come as we believe in him. So hear the word of the prophet Jesus. Turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ for your salvation. Go with Jesus into the presence of God and there behold his fearsome beauty, delight in his terrifying glory and rejoice in his radiant holiness. Go with fear and trembling, but go with confidence to the throne of grace. For Christ, the better Moses has brought us to God. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hands are pleasures forevermore.